everyone loves shopping online. Well, I'm going to tell you what I tell my golf buddies when they buy clubs. Stop searching for coupon codes. Download Capital One Shopping to your computer. Capital One Shopping instantly searches for available coupon codes and automatically applies them at checkout. Plus, it's free, and you don't even need a Capital One card to use it. That's like hitting a hole in one without even trying. Capital One Shopping. It's kind of genius. What's in your wallet? Savings and available coupons vary. There's really two questions that are innate within us as human beings. There's a deep yearning in every one of us to experience the answers to these two questions. First question is, who am I? Who am I? What's my identity? Who am I? The second question is, what am I called to do? What am I called to do? What has God called me to do? So guys, we're talking about identity and we're talking about destiny. What is our identity? What is our destiny? What is our purpose? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, I'm going to read this to you from the Passion Translation. It says, we have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. I want you to look at that, please. I want you to hear that again. We have become his poetry. The Greek word literally means poetry. We have become, one translation says, his masterpiece. But we have a purpose. We were recreated in Christ Jesus to fulfill the destiny he's given to each one of us. He has a destiny for each one of us. We're joined to Jesus. And even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. Wow. The video we watched addresses that very strongly, very poignantly. We're called to a very specific purpose. God has a plan for our lives. The Bible says it's not for a man to determine the way that he would go. The steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. God has a purpose and a plan for each one of our lives. God is a master creator. We are his workmanship, an expression of the very inner being of this divine artist. And God has recreated us in Christ Jesus to show forth his splendor, each one of us in specific ways. What are you called to do? What is your purpose in life? What did God create you for? These are, this is a very important question. God wants us to know that. Can you imagine at the end of our lives we stand before the Lord? I'm not saying we're not saved. We're saved. We know God. But then he says, I never called you to do that. I had something powerful for you to do. But you never sought me. You never pressed into my presence. You never really asked me what is my plan for your life. You went on your way. You did what you wanted to do. But I have and had a plan for your life. God wants us to know what that purpose is. God wants us to experience that plan. And as I mentioned on Wednesday, for those of you who are here, and I, and I talked, uh, touched on this last Sunday as well, 
we are both a being and becoming. What do I mean by that? When we're born again, we're recreated in Christ Jesus. The Bible says we become a new creation. New. We are a new creation. The very moment we're born again. Isn't that amazing? I think it is. That we are a new creation. The old has passed away. Everything has become new. But yet the Bible tells us that even though we're new in the sense of we're new beings in Christ Jesus, we're still becoming. I said last week, we are like a piece of artwork that has a work in progress before it becomes a masterpiece. So we are predestined for his good, his character, his nature to be conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. But there's a process that we are called to go through. It says in Ephesians 4.24, and we're called to be transformed as we embrace the glorious Christ within us, this new life, and we live in union with him. For God has recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness, and you now belong to him in the realm of true holiness. God has recreated us for a purpose. So what is that purpose? It's to know our identity. It's to know his destiny for our lives. He has an amazing plan. And as we focus on seeking him and growing in him, we become more and more like him. And then what ends up taking place is we come to a place where we discover our destiny. You know, the Bible is very clear that God has a plan for our lives. So clear. And I love Ephesians 2.10. Although it's implied that these good works make up our destiny, we must remember that as we yield to God, our prearranged destiny comes to pass. And then we are rewarded for simply doing what he wanted us to accomplish. Wow. What am I supposed to do? He knows. He knows. Isn't it interesting? What is my purpose in life? And somebody might say this morning, but hey, I'm, I'm in too deep to what I'm doing now. Oh, it's amazing how God can mess up our plans. It's amazing how God can turn things in a new direction when he wants to. You know, will we allow him, will we give God permission to do what he wants to do in our lives? Or will we walk in fear? Will we walk in offense? Will we walk in complacency or even compromise to the point where we just kind of like, well, you know what? I've never, ever gone there. I've never, ever went there in terms of my relationship with God, in terms of my worship, in terms of my seeking after God. Will we allow God to do what he wants to do in our lives? Will you seek him for the person he wants you to become and for the purpose he has for your life? You see, there's an amazing verse in Jeremiah chapter 29, and I'm going to just skip forward into this passage. You know, Jeremiah 29, let me give you the historical backdrop. The Israelites had been in captivity in Babylon. They, in 586 B.C., the final captivity occurred. And there was three waves of of Invasion, and they were taken captive. And that final captivity was when we, the city of Jerusalem fell. 
And what takes place is God speaks to those who were already in captivity, and he declares to them that at the end of the 70 years, I'm going to restore you and bring you back to your homeland. So there's a purpose for the captivity, and if you will be faithful to me, I will open the door and I will restore you to your homeland. Because my purpose for you is not that you would remain in captivity, but that you would be restored to the land that I had given to you. The point is there were some things that they had forfeited and some things that they had lost because of their disobedience to God. But God still loved them, and God still had a plan and a purpose. And he said, if you guys will allow me to work in your lives during these next 70 years, I will take you as a nation, and I will bring you back to this land, and I will establish you, and I will fulfill my promises and purpose for your life. The interesting thing, if you you know the history, when they were in Babylon, not everyone was happy or excited about returning back to Jerusalem. There were many people, because listen, the Babylonian captivity, it wasn't like Egypt. There was, there, they weren't slaves. They actually ended up prospering, and they had businesses, and they had families in that place of Babylon. And what ends up taking place is when God says, okay, It's time to go back to Jerusalem. There were some that were like, "Uh uh-uh. I'm not going. I've got a good here. I've got a family. I've got a business. I'm established. I put down roots. I'm not going back. But there was a remnant that said, how can we sing the praises of God in a foreign land? There was a remnant that said, we can't worship God the way he wants us to worship him when he's called us to be in a different place. This is not our purpose at this season or juncture in our lives. For a time, we were called to be in Babylon, but that season is closing, and a new season is before us, and we must move forward into that season to experience our destiny. So they return. After 70 years, and God reestablishes his remnant in that land. But the point I want to bring out is when you read these three verses here, in Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, we see very clearly that God says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and hope, Correct. A lot of times, when we quote that verse, we misquote it in terms of its original context. First of all, that verse isn't speaking about us as individuals. It's speaking about Israel and it's, it, as a nation, corporately. The original context, come on now, I'll just give you a little bit of theology for a moment, Okay. The basic rule of exegesis is what did it mean to the original audience? You need to ask that question and know the answer to that question before you can say, how does it apply to us today? So we say, what did it mean to the original audience? They were in captivity in Babylon. God says, I have plans for you. In the preceding verse, he says, after 70 years, I'll bring you back and I'll restore you. I have good plans for you, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. But 
If you want to see my plan and purpose fulfilled in your life, you're going to have to do something. You're going to call upon me and go and pray to me and I'll listen to you. And you seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. He's talking about their purpose, their destiny. He's not talking about their salvation or them encountering or knowing God. He's saying, I have a purpose. I have a destiny for your life. That destiny is individual, but it's corporate at the same time. And he's saying, and I want you to walk in that destiny. I want you to know who you are. I want you to know the purpose that I have for your life. But the only way you're going to find it is when you call upon me and pray to me. And he said, when you seek me, you will find me. When you search for me with all of your heart. All, with your whole being. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. With all your heart, he says, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love him with everything in you. Listen, it's all about knowing him. It's all about walking with him. It's all about seeking him. And when we seek him, we get to know him, and then we find out who we are. You are not the person you necessarily think you are. You are not the person that people have told you you are. Your circumstances have not defined you. Who you are is the person that God created you to be. You are the person he says you are in his word. You are the person who was made in his very image and likeness. The devil would want you to believe something else. You think it's God that wants us to walk around? I'm just a sinner. Seriously. I'm just a poor, defeated, miserable sinner. Do you know, let me tell you something. Let, let me grind a sacred cow into hamburger meat right now. There's a church in the New Testament called the Church at Corinth. And I just tell you, they were the most messed up, jacked up church. They had a lot of problems. They were carnal. They were divisive. They, they idolized leaders. I love Paul. I love Peter. I love Jesus, a really spiritual one said. And they had all of these different issues. There was immorality. There was idolatry in that church. They, they emphasized the gifts of the Spirit to such an extreme. They had no love. They had no grace. And yet, when Paul addresses them for the express purpose of correcting them, come on now, have you ever had your boss call you into his office? Have you ever had to call somebody into your office? And you know it, the conversation isn't going to be comfortable It's not necessarily something, a conversation you want to have, but you know it's necessary. So think of the first epistle or the first letter to the Corinthians. It's kind of like that. Paul's having a conversation with them. Guys, I need to talk to you about some issues here. I need to talk to you about some things that you need to change. And interestingly, Paul addresses them as saints. Now, if I was Paul, I would have said, to all the sinners... In Corinth, he doesn't call them sinners. He calls them saints. The word saint comes from the Greek word, which is translated in English holy. It's translated sanctify. It's translated saint. It comes from the Greek word hagios. It's an interesting word. There are two terms. There is a, there's a root word 
and then there's an antecedent. The root word is gi. The antecedent is ha. Ha in Greek negates. So gi means of the, not of the earth, I'm sorry, of the earth, of the dirt, of the soil. So what he's saying is, you are not, because ha is an antecedent that negates, you are not of the earth, you're not of the dirt, you're not of the soil. That's what the meaning of the Greek word is. To the church in Corinth, who is acting worldly, who is living carnally, you all need to understand that's not who you are. That's not your destiny. You're saints of God. You're not of the earth. You're not of the dirt. You're not of the soil. So he says in 1 Corinthians 3, why are you acting like mere men? You're not mere men. You're not like the people of the world. You're different. You were saved. You were sanctified, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified by the blood, and you are now a new creation. You're a new person, so you don't have to live that way. You've been changed. You've been transformed. You need to start living out your destiny, and you need to begin to live in the terms of who your identity is. What am I called to do? What has God called you to do with your life? Maybe you know that. Maybe you're living. You're in the right lane. You're in your sweet spot. You're doing what God has called you to do, at least for this season of your life. But is it possible that there might be more? Is it possible that God poor? Some of us might have different plans. Only you, only I, me, we're the only ones who can know that. What is it that God has planned for us? What is it? When I got called to ministry, I wasn't looking to be in ministry. I pursued a few different fields. I was looking at. God just kept closing doors, closing doors. Things didn't happen. I had no desire to be in ministry. There's not a a wish in me. I didn't want to like, hey, man, being a pastor sounds so awesome. That wasn't in me. There was nothing. No one in my family is in ministry. No one in Lynn's family is in ministry. We, We are, we're like first, for me, my mom was the first Christian. Lynn is the first Christian in her family. So we don't have that background. We don't have that luxury. But I want to tell you that the Spirit of the Lord came upon me when I was seeking God in the secret place. I was so hungry for God. I was so thirsty for God. I so desired to know him, to encounter him. I had encountered him. I had experienced him in such a profound and powerful way. And I said, Lord, I want more. I want more. When I attended our church, it was an Assembly of God church in Canada. When I attended that church, every time the pastor or the pastors would preach and give an invitation for prayer. And every Sunday, without fail, they'd give some sort of altar call, whether it's to give your life to Jesus, rededicate your life to Jesus, to get set free, to be healed, or or to forgive, or whatever it is. It didn't matter what the invitation was. Every single time they gave an invitation, I went forward. Because I said, there's got to be something in me that, that needs to change, and I don't want to miss anything. So, Lord, I'm, I'm, I just do whatever you need to do. And I just kept going forward. Then we'd pray. Then we'd worship. Then we'd seek after God. I'd encounter God. Then the Lord began to speak to me and talk to me about spending time with him. 
And the Lord said, I want you to start praying every day. And I said, Lord, I do pray. And he said, you, you say some prayers. I want you to start praying some prayers. And I said, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said, I want you to spend an hour a day worshiping, communing before you go to work. I got up at 4 a.m. in the morning to go to work. And then the Lord would say, I want you to do that. And as I began to seek God, I began to have an encounter with God. I began to change, and things in my life started to drop off me, and old desires, and and part of my old nature and my identity just began to shift, and I began to take on the new person that I was in Christ, and I had encounters with God, and I had spiritual experiences with God. And then one day, the Lord Jesus himself appeared to me when I was seeking him, and he spoke to me, and he said, I've called you to preach the gospel. And I said, oh my, what does that look like? So what do I do? I talked to my pastors. I went to Bible college, but I had no idea what that was. And the Lord said to me, he said, you better never Stop depending on me. You better always be a person of prayer. And he said, it's time for you to graduate from kindergarten where you're praying one hour a day, and let's go deeper. He said, I want you to pray two hours. So I was getting up at 2 a.m. Then eventually he said, I want you to spend three hours in deep prayer, in deep intercession. I'm not saying this is for everybody. I'm saying this is what he called me to. And he said, because I got a lot of work to you and you. And there's a lot of things, not only that I want to change in you, but there's a lot of things I want to do in you and through you. There's a lot of things I want to show you. And if you will make intimacy and communion with me your priority, he said, I will change your life. I'll open doors for you. I'll make things happen. You won't have to fight. This battle, the battles won't be yours. They're my battles. I'll, I'll take care of them. And so as I continued to seek God and press into God in that secret place, when I was in Bible college, I would go and I would spend my lunch hour in prayer. There was a a few of us in Bible college, and every day, Monday through Friday or Monday through Thursday, we would get together and we'd spend our lunch hour praying and seeking God. We had prophetic words. God spoke to us. He said, this is what I want to do. I want to send you guys out. I want you to impact the nations. I want you to do all of these things. I want you to raise up a generation. I want to send revival. He told me, I want to send revival to America. And I was living in Canada. He said, I want to do something. And I want to change people. But I need those who know who they are, who know their place in me, and who know their God. And if we know our God, and we know who we are in him, and we know our purpose, and we know our calling, we're going to see God do great and amazing things. The video that we watched, somebody said, well, that was dramatic. Was that hyperbole? The point I'm trying to make in that video is there's some things like maybe, is it possible that maybe there's someone who's been a pastor and they were never called to be a pastor? Is it possible there's somebody who maybe was an accountant all their life, but they were never called to be an accountant? Maybe they were called to actually be a pastor or a preacher of some sort? Is it possible that God has a plan for us? 
It doesn't necessarily require that we change our vocation. That's not what I'm saying today. But we have to be open. The fishermen left their nets to follow Jesus. Come on. They were commercial fishermen. That wasn't like something they did for pleasure. That was their vocation. But the point I'm trying to make is it's not about leaving what we're doing, but it's about stepping into the fullness of what he's called us to do. That involves seeking God for understanding, seeking God to know him better, seeking him so we become like him, pursuing him. What is my purpose? What is my plan? What am I supposed to be doing in this time, in this season in my life? Several years ago, probably about seven years ago, I was in Orlando, Florida. And a young man that I had met, we had been talking, and he, he was involved in a, in a very large ministry, preaching all over the world. The average attendance in the meetings are probably three to 500,000 people in one meeting. As I spoke with him, he invited me. He said, I want you to, can you come to our offices in Orlando? And I said, I'd love to do that. So I walked into the office, and I met with my friend, Daniel Colenda. Daniel was a young, is a young man who's now the director for what's called Christ for All Nations, the ministry that was started by Reinhard Bonnke originally from Germany. If y'all don't know who Reinhard Bonnke is, you've been sleeping. Reinhard Bonnke has preached to more people than any person in history. There's no one who's preached to as many people as Reinhard Bonnke in the history of the world. No one. In single meetings, 1.6 million people in Lagos, Nigeria. One meeting. He's preached to millions. I believe more than 100 million people have come to Christ read through their ministry. Reinhard Bonnke is a wise man. He realized he was getting older and he said, Lord, I don't want this ministry to stop when I am too old to continue and I need a successor. He thought he had a person. He invited this person to come and begin mentoring under him and being prepared to take over the ministry, but unfortunately it didn't work out. Daniel had graduated from Bible school. He was in his early 20s. Daniel was planting a church with some other young guys in the Tampa area, and he needed a job to support himself while he was planting the church. So he thought, wouldn't it be cool to work in Reinhard Bonnke's office. So he applied, and he was given a job. His job, work in the warehouse. Pack up all of the DVDs and everything that they ship out all over the United States. That was his job, work in the warehouse, shipping and receiving. One day, Reinhard Bonnke walked through the warehouse with one of his managers, and he looked, and he stopped, and he said, who is that young man? And they said, oh, his name is Daniel. His father's a pastor. 
And uh, they said, tell him I want him to come to Africa with me. He went to Africa just to watch the Crusades. He was blown away when they saw thousands and hundreds of thousands of people there and tens of thousands come to Christ. Daniel was invited to come several times. And over the course of a couple of years, Daniel was asked by Reinhard Bonnke to step out of his job in shipping and receiving and to begin to be trained as a fellow evangelist. He began to be trained. He began to be groomed. He began to be prepared. Because he was faithful, Reinhard Bonnke turned over his entire ministry to Daniel Kalenda. I want you guys to turn to the screen. There's a video. I want to, while this video is playing, I want you to watch it. You're going to see a glimpse of the ministry of Reinhard Bonnke and Daniel Kalenda, known as Christ for All Nations. A young man who knew he had a call of God in his life, who was trying to plant a church, was just serving God with a happy heart, working in a warehouse, ends up getting promoted to becoming a person who preaches to more people than anyone in the history of the world.